0: Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the jar. We're so glad that you're here this morning. I had a uh, person come up to me and they shook my hand this morning and said uh, i 'm feeling sick, so i 'm going home I thought you could have gone home and not shake my hand. you know, um, but you know how people are Hey uh, and I did wash my hand since then, so if you want to shake my hand i 'm as clean as I can be so um uh, After the celebration today, we're actually having uh, First Steps with Chris. So if I've never had a chance to kind of connect with you, uh, get to meet you, would love to have that opportunity to do so. Uh, It'll be right after this celebration uh, in the Jar Cafe where you got the donuts. And we will be done by 1 o'clock. But lunch is provided. Child care is provided. You can leave your kids there, and we'll feed them as well. Just make sure you get them before you leave, okay? Um, because we won't have them after that. Well, in college, uh, I didn't know what to major in, and I tried two or three, and I didn't do very well in any of those. And so finally, I became a history major. And a history major basically was you read a lot of history, and uh, you took tests, and you wrote papers. So I thought, well, maybe I can do that. And so I became a history major. And when you're a history major, one of the things they do at the school that I went to was in January, they would have what is called an intensive term where you just took one class and you got three credit hours. And you could do that either in North Manchester, Indiana, where it was probably going to be about negative 10, or you could go abroad somewhere. So I would work every summer, try to gain some money, and then I would go somewhere uh, in January. Well, in my sophomore year, we went to the Middle East to Greece, Egypt, and Turkey, but Greece is where we spent the majority of our time. And while we were there, we uh, learned about how impactful uh, the Greek culture was on the entire world. And uh, we would write papers and do different things, but on the weekends, you had off and you could go have fun. Now, uh, they had this drink called Uzo, but I was a Christ follower. No, I partook a little bit of that. Uh, and I heard it was like licorice, and it was, but it had a little bit more of a kick than licorice did. And um, so that was part of the experience. But the other part of the experience was on weekends, you could go do whatever you wanted to do. And uh, what we would, uh, my friend Mark and I decided one day that we would actually go on a uh, venture to try to find a soccer game. And so we found uh, in the paper that there was a soccer game going on on a particular day. And so we uh, get ready to go, but we don't speak Greek, so we don't know how to get to the soccer uh, match. So I asked uh, the clerk that was at the hotel desk. Hey, could you write it down in Greek for us? And we did. And we just plastered it up to a taxi cab driver. And the taxi cab driver said, yeah, I know where it's at. And uh, he didn't actually say that. He just says, yeah. And uh, we got in the car. And so we, we took off and we get to uh, what we think is the uh, actual stadium where this is going to take place, the soccer game. But as we get closer and closer, the streets get narrower and narrower, and there are people everywhere. And he gets us all the way up there, and we get out of the car and we walk up to the stadium doors. But no one tells us anything. No one greets us, no one says anything. We finally find where the ticket counter is. We get a ticket, we walk in, and it was the most electric atmosphere that I think I had ever seen in my life before. The crowd was going crazy. They were banging drums. They had whistles that we were blowing. They were uh, cheering, screaming out loud. And everyone in the stadium was in one of two colors. Either they were for the blue team or they were yellow. And it was divided in half. Now, Mark and I, no one gave us the memo that we were supposed to wear blue or yellow. So we walked in. We are the only people out of about 10,000 people that are wearing something else other than that. So as we walked in, there's this gigantic crowd of folks, but we felt all alone. Now again, we didn't speak the language, we didn't understand the culture. It was the first soccer game that we had ever been to before, but no one was there to help us or to kind of guide us in the midst of that. And we're in this gigantic crowd of about 10,000 people, and we felt alone. Before we started the JAR, I went to a conference in Chicago at the fastest growing church at that time. And this church helped other churches to get started, and they had this conference of planting or starting a church. And the church was 15,000 people. That went to this campus, and when we drove up, there's this gigantic complex on 150 acres, and there's different uh, ponds that are all around this facility. And when you walked in, there were fountains, and there was this huge greeting, and you walk into this auditorium, and it felt like a rock concert. The music was amazing. The speakers were challenging. Everything was great about it. The entire time, 4,500 pastors and church leaders are there, but I felt alone. No one came up to me and talked to me during that conference. They're all pastors. They're all church leaders, but no one kind of walked across the aisle or down the row to say something. No one really reached out to me. I Didn't have anyone have a conversation. No one went back to the hotel room where I stayed at and said, Hey, you want to come down and play cards? No one invited us over for dinner. I was in a crowd of Christians. And I felt alone. Have you ever been in a large crowd of people before and you felt totally alone? Have you ever, like in high school, for some of you that, Takes you back a little ways for others, not so much. But have you ever been? Do you remember high school? You get to the cafeteria and everyone's there, and there's a hundred kids, maybe more, that are in your cafeteria, and there are kids at your table, and everyone's talking, everybody's saying something, but you feel alone. Have you ever been to a rock concert or maybe a country concert down at uh, Clips Music Center? And there's this energy and there's crowd and there's all of these people that are there, but you feel alone. Maybe you've been to a Colts game, a Pacers game, some kind of sporting event. You get there, there's tens of thousands of people there. There's popcorn, pretzels, peanuts. There's all kinds of stuff that's there, but you feel alone. Have you ever been to Walmart or to a mall and you're, you're going through it and there are all these people that are around. They're up and down the aisles, but you feel alone. Have you ever been at work before and there are people all around you that are having conversations, they're connecting, they're talking, but you feel all alone. Maybe you've been at church before and there's all these people But the truth is, you feel alone. Folks, the scripture is very clear from the beginning to the end that you were not created to do life alone. You were never meant to sit alone. You were never meant to stand alone. You were never meant to walk alone. And this leads us kind of to the big idea that I want you to get this morning And it's your first fill-in. You can do it on your app or on the program, and it's this. You were created for community. You were created for community. It's interesting that in the Bible, in the very first book of the Bible, in Genesis, we're told the creation story in which God starts creating things. And each time that he creates something, each day that he does his creative work, he looks at it and he says, this is good. For example, the Bible says this, let there be light. And it was so there was light. And God saw that the light, what's it say? It was good. good. And then he goes on to these other days and He created the sun, the moon, the stars, the plant life, animals. He does all of this. And after each day, he looks and he says, it's good. And then God creates his masterpiece. He creates human beings made in his own image. And he creates this man. And God looks at it. And something weird happens. Because he doesn't say, it's good. He actually says, it is good not good, it's not good that man should be alone. God looked at his masterpiece, he looked at the person that he had made, and he said, it is not good, it's not good. Now, why do you think this is so? Is it because God likes women better than men? I heard that, but the the actual correct biblical uh, kind of answer is no. Okay? It's no. But what God is focusing on is the extreme importance that he places on human relationships. Because... Being alone, folks, in this thing called life is not good. Folks, you were created for community. You were designed to do community. You were destined by God to know and be known, to love and be loved, to serve and be served. Because when the roof caves in, and the roof caves in all of our lives at different times, when that happens, folks, in those moments, what you need is not a crowd of people. What you need is a handful of people that are going to be there and help you through it. That they know you and you know them. That they love you and you love them. That they will serve you and that you yourself will be able to serve within this group. So, now that we know we're created for community, how do we actually grow stronger in that? How do you and I grow stronger in community? Now, the cool thing about Jesus is that he understood community very well because he created it. From the very beginning, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were creating all things. And Jesus understood this extremely well. And because he valued community so much, he always had a crowd around him. And that's kind of your next fill-in. There is a crowd when it comes to community. In fact, crowds are really important. And Jesus did a lot of his teaching in front of large crowds gathered together. As the crowds would come together... We're told in some places in the Bible that that crowd would become up to 5,000 people or even more. One time he was teaching a crowd and he was on a mountaintop and the crowd got so big on the mountaintop that he decided he would move down and he walked down to the base of the mountain and the crowd got bigger. And he looked and he saw that there is this beach that is headed to this lake and He gets out to the beach and the crowd gets even bigger. And so finally he gets in a boat and he goes out into the boat and he teaches from the boat to this crowd. Little known fact about me, I've always wanted to teach from a boat. I know some of you have boats. If you love your pastor... No, I'm joking. You know, know, each week, folks, when we come here, There's a crowd. We have a crowd of people that come. And we do our best to create the best experience that we can so that you can have the best experience you can. But you know what I found? Is that some of you, honestly, don't like crowds, do you? Some of you don't like crowds. Some of you kind of like crowds. The empty seats beside you. How do I know this? Because I've seen you before sometimes when you go to the movie theater. And you sit down and all of a sudden I've never seen some of you praying fast so much. Oh God, please help there not to be a person that sits beside me. You don't want somebody to sit beside you. Or how about on an airplane? Oh God, please, if there is a God, do not have anyone sit beside me. Why? Because you want to have room for yourself. You want to kind of, you know, sprawl out a little bit. You want to have your own space. But folks, I need to remind you that an empty seat here on Sunday mornings is a serious matter. Because if there's an empty seat beside you, it means that there is a person that is missing. There's a life that God can't speak to in the midst of our celebration. There's a person whose burdens cannot be lifted. This week, some people will walk around all week long feeling the burdens of life because they weren't lifted, because they weren't connected on Sunday morning. Whose heart can't be molded, whose reconciliation will not be taken care of, whose Missing out, perhaps, on the central, most important thing that they would hear this week. But they're missing. Jesus actually told a a parable about this one time in Luke chapter 14. And I'd encourage you this week, if you don't have something that you're reading right now, just make a commitment. Luke 14, I'm going to read it this week. And it's the story of the parable of the great banquet. You see, there was this great big hearted guy that decided that he was going to throw the banquet of all banquets. The pate of all pates. And he was going to invite all of his friends to come and to be a part of this party. He says to some of the servants, I'm going to throw this gigantic party and I need all of you to prepare the food. And so they start preparing the food. And then to the rest of the servants, he says, what I want you guys to do, I want you to take all of these invitations, and I want you to go, and I want you to invite all of my friends to come. So both sides do their job, and the day of the banquet comes, and the people who are dealing with the invitation side of inviting all of the master's servants, they come back to him, and they go, ah! I got some bad news. And the master's like, what? What are you talking about? He's like, "Uh, they're bailing on the banquet. They've decided that they're going to bail on the banquet. And he's like, say what? Seriously? He's like, yeah. They've decided they have more important things to do, and so they're bailing. And the host of the banquet says... To the other servants, he goes, But these guys over here, you're, you're doing the invitations, but these guys over here, they've been busting it to get all the food and all the drink and everything wasted and everything prepared. And I don't want anything wasted for the banquet. I don't want the food wasted. I don't want the drinks wasted. I don't want the wine wasted. I don't want the music wasted. Go out and invite some more people. Just start inviting people that are on the streets. So the servants come back and they say, Hey, Master, I mean, we did. We, we went up and down all of our streets and we invited everyone that we could. But the reality is not all of the chairs are going to be full. And finally, Jesus says that the Master looks at these servants and he says, all right, this is the plan. I want you to go out and I want you to compel people to come to the banquet. Drag them in. Go to other towns. Get out of your comfort zone. I don't care who it is. Everyone needs to come to the banquet. Do whatever you can because it doesn't make sense not to have the banquet full. Grab anyone you can and let them come to the banquet. You know, folks, every single Sunday here at church... God prepares a banquet. And many times it's a lavished one. For example, Chuck and the band today, they didn't just show up two minutes before they had to go on and they started playing. They actually practiced throughout this week. They practiced this morning. They prayed about it. They took their time because they wanted to do their best for the banquet. The seat that you're sitting in right now, somebody got here at 7 o'clock and they made sure that a seat was prepared and ready for you so that you could get here and have a seat. The people who made the coffee early this morning got all the donuts and we know how some of you are if you don't get your donuts. But our hospitality team, they were here. They were doing their best to make the banquet look great and then... When all of you are done and you're like, hey, let's get the heck out of here. He he talked way too long today. There'll be people that stay and they'll tear down chairs. They'll get everything ready because they're trying to take care of the banquet. And we have people who teach on this stage, not just myself, but others, who will spend 20 hours a week doing their very best at trying to create the best feast that they can from this stage to be able to impact your life because they want to do the best for the banquet. And you know, sometimes what happens is God's Spirit moves in such a powerful way that there is like an anointing that comes and His Spirit moves in such a powerful way and it rocks our world. Last Sunday, for instance, we had communion and we had communion and all of a sudden I see tears and people moved by God. And one guy came up and he gave his life to Christ. And there was all of this movement of God's spirit that is taking place. And sometimes, unfortunately, I'm the only one that has this view. But I stand up here and I look out and at the end, when I close in prayer, I notice that there are empty chairs my heart aches. It aches. On one hand, I'm really excited though that all of us got to attend the banquet and we had a great time and we got to hear from God in different ways and there were people who participated in it and they had a great experience. But I look at the empty seats and I go, man, there are some that weren't here. Their hearts weren't melted like our hearts were. They were not convicted by the Holy Spirit, like we were. Their hearts were not transformed in such a way that they looked different than when they came in. And so, in a couple of weeks, what I'm going to do is I'm going to challenge you with this concept called fill the seats. Now, I sound like a hick sometimes, and so what I didn't mean was Feel the seats. Like, let's go around here. Let's just feel these seats. Boy, aren't these seats nice. Let's just feel them. Boy, boy, don't they feel good. Okay? I don't mean feel. I mean fill. To fill the seats. And so uh, what we're challenging everyone to do is to invite three people. It might be your circle of three but all of us can invite three people that would come to fill a seat. And maybe God's banquet would touch their lives in such a way that their eternity could change. And we've decided to have no holds bar, And so in a couple of weeks, we're going to have yard signs. I know some of you put political yard signs in your yard. Some of you put other yard signs in there, like, Joe did this work for me. He needs more business. Call him. I've seen people put signs there before. And here you can put a sign and your neighbors might be like, what is this? Oh, it's a... And their life, their eternity could be changed. And we'll have invitations for people to pass out because in just a few weeks, do you know what holiday is coming? Easter. How many people... Do you know that if you asked them, they'd come? Statistics tell us that seven out of ten of your friends, if you ask them, they would come on Easter. You could fill, not feel, you could fill an entire row. And we feel so confident as leaders about this that... We're ordering another hundred chairs. Now, some of you are asking, where are you going to put those chairs? You see these bars up here? We're just going to have them like... No, I'm joking. Someone much smarter than me has figured out how we can do all this. And so, your responsibility is just to fill the seats. Fill the seats. Because do you remember what the master said? The master said... And we're believing, he said, I want my house to be what? He said, full. Now, community is really good. There's something about a crowd that's really good. But the crowd is not the best part of community. You can grow stronger in community by going to another kind of part of a a circle, and and that is connection. You move from crowd to connection. And we call this our mid-sized gatherings. Jesus did a lot of his best work in connecting with groups of people, usually around 70 most of the time. He would have 70 that he would call out, that he would teach, that he would encourage. You know, for the first 12 years of our church, we really only had two places where people would connect. They connected on Sunday morning or in a small group, and I'll talk about that in a second. We just had the belief that people would come on Sunday morning and they would be so moved by what we did and God would work in their life in such a great way that next week they would be like, I'm ready for a small group. I'm ready to go to a group of people that I do not know and for all of us to sit in a room together, sing Kumbaya and pass, you know, like a candle around or something. By the way, that's not what happens in our small groups. Okay. But all of a sudden you get this sense of being freaked out that, oh, I'm not ready for that. And so one of the weakest areas that we've had as a church in the first 12 years, and I take ownership for it, is that we haven't had mid-sized gatherings, mid-sized events. Places where people could come of around 50 and they could connect. And my fear has been, because we haven't had that, We've had dozens of people who walk in, my greater fear is that maybe it's hundreds, that have walked through the front doors and they'll tell me after church or they'll send me an email and go, man, we we love church on Sunday. It was so great. We love the outreach that you're doing. But because they never get plugged in outside of the crowd, what happens is over a period of time they kind of drift and it's not that they drift from the jar. If they drifted from the jar and they drifted into another church, I'd be excited. But they don't do that. They just drift away from Jesus. And then two or three or four or five or six years later, I talked to them and they, I was like, Hey, man, life's really been hurting. What's going on? I just drifted. And so our hope is, is that these mid-sized events, that as we create them, people can be like, oh, I don't mind being in a larger group of people. That'll be okay. That'll feel safe. Because it can be scary, folks, to go from a large crowd to a small group of 6, 8, 10, 12 people that are there. And so beginning this year, one of the things that we really felt called by God is to create mid-sized events that not only you could go, but you could invite your friends to come too. And so there's a team that's working on that because Christians were never meant to sit alone, to stand alone or to walk alone. The Christian faith has always been about doing community together because you were created for community. Peter, uh, the one that Jesus handpicked to move the mission of the church after he uh, ascended back to heaven. He said, Peter, I want you to grow the church. And Peter said, well, okay, I can do that. And he knew a lot about community because he was with Jesus for three years. And Peter says these words. He said, you, that is the church should be like one big family loving one another. How many of you like family reunions? Now, if your family's here and someone does it and you like hate them, just raise your hand anyway. Okay. I love family reunions. The food, the fun, the fights. That's usually my wife's side of the family, you know, that has that kind of stuff. But seriously, I love family reunions. And every time that I think of that word reunion, I go back to my childhood in Marion, Indiana, where people would be there and there'd be This group of 50, 60 people and everyone's sitting in a lawn chair and they're telling stories that most people have heard 20 times before anyway. And they're all eating from this great big picnic table and they're having fun and there's this warm sun and there's joy and there's all this fun stuff happening. And this is what we want to do, folks. We want to create family reunions in this church. Places where people can come together together. And they can be united in such a way that even if your own family reunion is a nut job, you can come and be a part of something that's not as nutty, okay? And so we put together this team to be able to do this. And just a couple of weeks ago, uh, one of the things they did was they had this bowling night. And all the people came and they bowled. and But you just didn't bowl regularly. You had to do all this weird stuff, you know, because competitive people like me, I just want to win. So if you just make me bowl, you know, by himself, I'm taking you down. But if I have to go left-handed, backwards, all that kind of stuff, all of a sudden competition isn't there anymore. You're actually getting to know people and connect. And so they did this, and it was awesome. In just a month, we're going to have a board game night. Some of you have not played board games recently and it's a shame. Because yesterday I played Connect 4 with my daughter. We played 30 times. She beat me 21 times. I can never see the diagonal thing. I'm looking at it I'm like, "What? Hey dad, look here here." And I try to put two in, you know, and stuff and it still doesn't work. So you just need a night where you can come Bring your favorite board game. We hang out. We get to know each other. And there's a moment there. And then a couple weeks after that, we'll have a worship night where we can come and we can worship. And folks, God's original design for your life was for you not to live in isolation out on an island somewhere, but in a family, an authentic family, a family that loves one another, a family that serves one another, a family that cares for one another, a family that prays for one another, a family that helps one another. You were created for community. So you go from a crowd... And then you go to a connection. But really, the deepest part of community that you could be a part of is the core. How do you get to the core? The way we do that here at the JAR is through our small groups. Paul wrote these words in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. And uh, I'd like us to read these out loud together. And when I say that, I mean that means all of us. We did it in the first celebration. I said, let's all read it together. And it was like an echo of my voice going everywhere. So I know you're smarter than the first celebration people. So let's go ahead and uh, let's read this out loud together. Every time we get the chance, let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. Now, you might ask, well, what's that last phrase, community of faith? What's that mean? That means your church family. Your church family. Now, for some of you, you're connecting in a crowd right now and you feel good about that. Your next step might be to say, hey, I'm going to connect into a connection point. I'm going to do one of these mid-sized events. Some of you are doing that. You know enough people. You need to connect to a small group. Some of you are in small groups right now. But all of us, folks, regardless of who we are, we need some people around us who actually have our back. Who are there to actually encourage us and build us up. And also, that they're able to see sometimes some of the blind spots that you and I don't see ourselves. We need someone who can defend you, stand up for you, encourage you, be there for you. The Bible says this in Philippians chapter 2. Verse 4. Look out for one another's interest, not just your own. <laughs> That's like counterculture, isn't it? You don't walk into a place and you're like, hey, is everybody like looking out for my interest? No, you want know people are going, what's in it for me? forget you. It's all about me. It's me, me, my thoughts, my needs, my wants, my ambitions. What about me? The rest of you, forget you. Don't look out for other people. Just look out for yourself. And the Bible, Peter says, no, no, no. It's not about looking out for just yourself, but look out for others. We're going to put a sign up here. Anybody know what this sign is? Neighborhood Watch. It's actually there, folks. You can read it. You know, I mean, it's not rocket science. Neighborhood Watch. But you know really what this sign's about? It's about community. It's about a group of people that say, in our community, we're going to stick together. We have each other's back. We're going to make sure that everything is taken care of in our community. We are looking out for each other. We are going to be for each other. My guess is when you go on vacation, you look around at your neighbors and you determine who is the neighbor that I can tell. For example, you don't tell a crazy neighbor guy like this. We're leaving for the week. Do you mind checking out on things, right? And you know everybody in your neighborhood has one crazy neighbor, right? Invite them on Easter. Just don't invite them to get your mail or anything like that, you know? And you have this person, and you don't tell everybody, and you don't tell a guy that never waves at you. You know the one in your neighborhood? You drive by all the time, you've been waving for 10 years, and the person never waves back. You don't tell them. But you tell a neighbor, hey, could you get our mail this week? We're going to be gone. Or, hey, could you get our newspaper this week? We're going to be gone. Or could you check, you know, on our guinea pigs while we're gone? If you let them out, that's good too. But, you know, check on them before that. Because this is the thing that I know is true about you. When you leave your place, you want someone to check your stuff. You want to make sure that your stuff is there when you get back. So you want people to do that. It's not a bad thing at all. It's a good thing. But this is not the question. The question is not, is there anyone in your life who's looking out for your stuff? The question is, is there anyone in your life that is looking out for your soul? Do you have anyone in your life that is looking out for your soul? Is there a group of people that are looking out? your soul is there a group of people who love you enough to be able to say we're not going to let you get discouraged we're not going to let you give up we're not going to let you drop out we're not going to let you get tired we are going to be for you and with you no matter what give anyone who encourages you in your spiritual life to actually do more than just be in the crowd but to actually take some steps to grow closer the reality is, folks, every single one of us have some blind spots, and we need people around us to be able to see it. I mean, for instance, when I'm driving in my car, I never know when my brake light or taillight goes out. Do you know when I find that out? Somebody tells you. When somebody else tells me. A couple of weeks ago, this young couple, they come up to me, they're like, Hey, Pastor, uh, your brake light's out. It's still out. Now, I'm grateful for them. I need to get it fixed. But I wouldn't have even known had they not say that. Another thing, if I'm up here on some Sunday and, you know, my zipper's down, don't just let me talk the entire time and be like, hey, did you see what? No, you stand there and go, (laughs) zip, zip, do something, get my attention, zip. And, you know, friends, don't let friends walk around with something in their teeth. A friend actually goes up and says, dude, get that out of your tooth. Look, get get it out. Friends don't let friends, you know, walk around with a booger in their nose. Now you go, dude, get that out or I'll help you get it out. But, like, you got to get it out, you know. Don't send emails, okay. But, folks, the thing is you need other people six, eight, ten, twelve people in your life that they are there for you and they care about you more than just your stuff. They care for your soul. The Bible says this in Hebrews 13. Keep being concerned about each other as the Lord's followers should. We should care about each other. We're a family. We're God's family. And as brothers and sisters, I should be able to defend you To care for you, to encourage you, and you should be able to defend me, to support me, to encourage me. And I'm just telling you, folks, as your pastor, as someone who loves you, for some of you, you really need to take that next step today. For some of you, you've been checking out the whole Jesus thing, you've been coming as a crowd. Your next step might be to go to First Steps today, to have a chance to meet me, let me hear your story, let's connect. Let's get to know each other. For others of you, you've been in the crowd. You've actually made a commitment to Christ, but you've never been baptized. You've never made that commitment before. And so in a couple of weeks, I'll be teaching the class and we'll encourage you to actually be a part of that. And for others of you today, the biggest step you could make is to get in a group of people, a small group of folks who can you can finally move from crowd to connection to a core. People who say, hey, we got your back. Oh, you're struggling with something? We're there for you. We're not going to let you get discouraged. We're not going to let you get depressed. We're not going to let you get worried. We're going to be here for you. Folks, it's great what we do on Sundays to come together as a larger group But the best way to grow stronger in community is to go smaller, to get connected with people who know you and you know them, who love you and you love them, who you serve and they serve you. You know, Jesus, before he ascended back to heaven, after he had died on a cross and then rose three days later and connected with over 500 people, the 50 days after his resurrection... He's ascending back to heaven and he pulls this guy named Peter aside and he says, Peter, I want you to carry out the mission. And the way I want you to do that is by, at first, getting smaller into small groups. And in Acts chapter 2, it says this. They worshiped together regularly at the temple each day, met in small groups in homes, and shared their meals with great joy and thankfulness, praising God. My small group met on Monday, and that's what we did. We worshiped, we met, we shared, we praised. Now, nobody worshiped in the sense of like, you know, put a CD in. Hey, let's all sing now, you know. We didn't do that. But we worshiped by praying together, by encouraging one another, by lifting up praises, one One person's dad is going through cancer right now, and so we prayed for them. Another person was going through something else. We prayed for them. Somebody's leaving for a week to go somewhere. We prayed for safe travel. Some of them were able, that was mine, a praise that my daughter graduated from speech. And so everyone's like encouraging each other. Folks, you need a group like that. You really do. And you can take the risk to do it. No one will put you on the spot. No one will make you feel like you have to say something. But you can be a part of a community and and to grow in that. Because you were created for community, not for isolation. The way I'd like to close today, Emily uh, Scoglin, who's our small groups coordinator, uh, director, will actually come and will talk about How do we get stronger through a small group, and how do we find power in community? So let's uh, thank Emily for coming to share.
1: Hi. Well, I'd like to share with you a story about the power of community and the strength that you can find in a small group. So about a year and a half ago, two people named Chester and Nikki, who are just awesome people that are up in that picture there, um, they were sitting on this stage with Chris, and he was interviewing them about a new small group that they were going to be starting. And in that interview, they shared about their own experience of having been in a small group and how through some of the, the hardest times of pain and loss and hurt and in some of the best times of their life and the good times, Their group stood by them and supported them and strengthened them and prayed um, and were there for them. They rejoiced with them, and they mourned with them. Um, Well, meanwhile, there was a woman named Diane and her boyfriend, Kent, who were sitting where you are right now. And they had never been in a small group before. Um, They were a little bit uneasy about the idea of being in a small group. They didn't really know what it was. But something about Chester and Nikki's story made them think, okay, you know what? This is worth a shot. I think this is something that we should try. So a couple of weeks later, they walked into Chester and Nikki's house on a Monday evening, and um, they didn't find anything weird or crazy. It was just a group of people that were laughing and having fun, kind of just getting to know each other, eating a bunch of food. And um, as the the evening progressed, they um, had a lesson and kind of a discussion, and the topic that night was, what would it look like if we as a small group truly cared about each other the way that Christ cares about us? And so um, they talked about that for a little while. And then at the end of the evening, Nikki asked if there were any prayer requests from anyone. And um, so Kent and Diane thought now a as good as time ever um, to share that uh, Diane had just been diagnosed with colon cancer and would be starting chemo soon. And so um, the group, their hearts just went out to them, and they prayed that God would give them strength and healing. And um, as they prayed, they, pray, they continued to pray and Diane began her chemo and um, went through testing and more chemo and more testing. And um, one of the effects of her side effects of her chemo was that she was very sensitive to cold. So even opening a refrigerator door was painful for her. And so the group got together and, and made this little gift care package. Um, and one of the things that was in it was just a warm pair of gloves to kind of protect her from the heat or the cold. And uh, one of the members of the group took that to her on her first chemo appointment. And it was just a small way of saying you are not in this alone. We're here for you. And so they continue to pray. They continue to care. And then in April, um, they got the news that um, she had had her, Diane had had her last chemo treatment. And she got the free and clear that the cancer was gone, that it had taken care of the cancer. And so, um, yeah, it was an awesome thing. And uh, the group was excited, and they were like, we need to celebrate this. This is such a cool thing. And so um, Nikki and Chester, they talked to some of Diane's friends and family and their small group, and they decided, all right, we're going to have a – you're done with chemo party, a surprise party. And so they they made a bunch of food and invited people. And um, just they made them this beautiful wooden sign that had a a scripture verse to encourage them. And so um, Diane walked in that night thinking it was just an ordinary small group. And here everybody was ready to celebrate with her. And she was just shocked and amazed. And it was such a cool time for them to celebrate that together as a group. Well, um, a couple, about three months ago in December, Kent and Diane got the news that no one wants to hear. That the cancer was back, and it had spread, and um, at this point they could only treat her for the pain, and so the group was just—they were Um, devastated—and Nikki talked to me and said, "You know, Emily Chester and I—we just feel like we're helpless. Like we don't know what to say, we don't know what to do, we—we don't feel equipped for this. We don't know how we—what we can do for them." And I said, "You know, Nikki, you don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. Just be there." for them, be there to walk beside them, listen to what they have to say, and that's what they did. They sat with Diane in the hospital. They took Kent out to lunch and just let him talk and share what was on his mind. They prayed with him. They were just there for them. Um, And about just over a week ago, I went and visited with uh, Kent and Diane, and um, they said to me, you know, Emily, we have been so overwhelmed by the care that our group has shown us. And we love these relationships that we've been able to develop. And they said, "Um, Emily, we want our story to be shared. We want people to know how much of an impact that small groups has had on our life and that um, it's become like our family to us. And they said, we want other people to experience that and see how important it is to move beyond just Sunday morning and be a part of a small group. And they said, we're so glad that we've taken that step. So I wanted to be able to share um, their story for you today. And if you are here and you are not a part of a small group, or maybe you've been in a small group before, um, but you've kind of gotten disconnected from that, then I want to encourage you to stop trying to do life alone and to surround yourself with a group of people that are going to be there for you in the worst times of your life and in the best times of your life. Um, So there's a card in your program, if you pull that out, it looks like this. It says, yes, I want to grow in a small group. And today, if you're going to say, you know, I'm willing to take that step, that risk, and try out a small group. And, and that's all I'm asking is just that you try it out. And if you go to one and it's not a good fit for you, then try another one and just kind of take that risk and try it. Um, so if you write your name on there and then just some way that I can contact with you, uh, get in contact with you all, get in touch with you this week, and we can talk about um, what would be a good small group for you and kind of get you plugged in there. Um, and so we're going to give you just a minute to fill that out, and then uh, we'll close up.